What's up, what's up? Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to Theory and Theology. Um, On this podcast, we talk about different theories, cultures, religious topics, and all sorts of things. Um, Today, I'm kind of um, wanting to talk about a uh, psychological theory. Uh, One of my favorite ones. Um... I had a clinical supervisor who um, was the most, um, uh, I guess you would call it, kind of hands-on class type of uh, of a supervisor. Like, and we talked a lot about John Friedrichson's uh, ISTDP. Um, and so I'll say that again, ISTDP, um, Intensive Short-Term Dynamic Psychotherapy. Um, that's one of my favorite um, kind of methods. Let's see, so... Oh gosh, I'm like yawning and everything today, guys. Um... I'm tired. A little tired. Not, uh... I'm a little tired, yeah. Not, like, super tired, but I'm a little tired. But, yeah, um... At work, a lot of people know, you know, I don't really do a lot of direct therapy anymore. And maybe that's why I've been kind of, like, not so into this job. Because, like, you know, today, uh, yesterday, the day before... Um, I've been working with a client on a situation um, that, you know, kind of feels more up my alley. It's kind of more my vibe of how I prefer to work. Um, And, you know, like, it's nice to be able to provide value in that way. Um, And I don't know what people really think. I mean, I'll get more into talking about boundaries Um, so I don't get, like, way off topic with this, but, um, yeah, we, um, you know, this client and and myself, you know, have been working together since, like, I don't even know how long, like, absolute ages, um, oh, yeah, that's right, so, like, since, um, spring of 2021 but um I think they were one of the first people I enrolled I feel like they were enrolled sometime near like June or July of 2020 I I can't recall but basically um it's one of my younger younger people um that I work with and um this person pretty much you know went through a lot of stages of getting out of an abusive of multiple abusive you know uh dynamics um through a combination of you know housemates roommates uh family members um and i mean the common theme the common theme that i usually see and this isn't, this is, I mean, it's likely just the population I work with, too, because everyone we work with has a certain limited income, and everyone we work with has a certain limited, um, I don't really want to say a limited educational background, but more so like a limited ability to be able to work full-time. Usually it's due to symptoms, but sometimes other things um like health complications not necessarily mental health complications but physical health complications or you know in this case you know the person is you know on the younger end so they're not very established in their career so they do work and they are able to work they probably work more than 40 hours like it's kind of hard to really get all the details um, but they have multiple jobs, um, 
you know, but, you know, they're, they're not getting paid, like, too, too much, like, 15 or so an hour, and that's, like, before taxes in Southern California, so it's, like, they're not getting, like, a, a very high livable wage because they're, you know, they just got out of school not that long ago, and they're not, you know, they don't fully have their degree yet, um, they're still kind of wrapping up some loose ends with, with coursework and, you know, having to pay off a bill, you know how it is, like, you can't get your transcript or your degree posted until you finish, like, every single thing, so they've got a couple last steps, so they're having to deal with that as well as work, did a super fantastic job of engaging themselves in services, they definitely advocate for themselves, they definitely ask for help when they need it, um, they're not, like, pushy, but I notice, like, they have a a very, um, I'm not, I'm not really used to working with people who are so, like, proactively engaged in their own recovery process and process of, uh, you know, engaging with support. Like, usually I feel like, you know, we work with an older crowd and usually they're kind of like, I don't want to say set in their ways, but like, they usually maybe don't need as much from us or like feel maybe weird asking us especially because like you know this type of field that I work in attracts kind of a younger crowd of people who work you know like we tend to not really all have you know like older like families you know like some of us do but like a lot of us are in like our 30s a couple people in their 20s couple people in their 40s um a lot of us are pretty much in our 30s and have roommates or are you know dating but like not married and so we have a lot more energy um and we're early in this phase of our career so um I guess what I'm trying to say is like you know, it, it attracts a certain age range of people who are still early in their career, but also quite established, know the resources, but a lot of us are kind of seeing if we're phasing in or out, um, have been working in the field for a long time, like, most of the people I work with have aren't new, like, there are a couple who are, like, brand new and still, like, working on getting masters and stuff like that, but most of the people I know have had a master's degree for at least, like, almost 10 years, six years, five years, have been working in very intensive case management and therapy and crisis management sites and hospital sites. Like, you know, we're used to like a more intensive population. The population we work with is in need of intensive support, but they're also very connected with so many other programs so we don't really take the most intensive role anymore we don't do the intensive case management we don't do a lot of the crisis management we do kind of like the mop-up and the intervening when things kind of aren't working out so it's kind of a weird role that I have now because it's like they call us when they need something but then we kind of need them to engage sometimes more than they call us um, so it's kind of like this push and pull of like, okay, like, do you, we need, can we help you? We need to call you at least every month a couple times. And then they're like, nah, I'm good. You know, like if they don't have an appointment, but like once every three months or something, they don't really need to talk to us every, like every other week. So it's like, you know, they're, they have therapists, they have case managers. They like, oftentimes, like if they don't, when they first enroll, we get them connected to every single thing. So, um, so we basically are able to be like talking, um, you know. We're able to be, like, talking to our clients, uh, pretty much, um, 
how do I say this? We're able to talk to our clients kind of more so when they need us to engage with them. Um, which kind of makes the role a little less ideal because it's like you're not following up so often and then things come up and then you're like, oh shoot, now I got to like backtrack and like figure out what's been going on for the last couple weeks up until this point. Like we're not like involved with them weekly. We don't have a whole team of different providers that's like in the same exact office physical space as us. Like we have to track down their other providers and then they have to be willing to coordinate with us and give us that information. And sometimes, you know, if our clients don't want us to contact certain providers, like they just don't tell us who they're working with. And we don't usually have access to, like, all of that. Like, it takes a lot of digging to be, like, who's this person seeing? Like, who's their psychiatrist? Who's their nurse? Who's their therapist? Who's their cardiologist? Who's their physical therapist? Who's, you know, I have clients who see certain providers that I never even knew they were, like, seeing those providers. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you need to follow up with this person. And I'm like, I don't even know who they are. I don't know their name. I don't know what site they work for. Um, so that gets to be a little, like, it's, like, not efficient. There's a lot of little, like, inefficient things that it's, like, you know, a lot of our, of our, you know, clients kind of, like, withhold information from us because we're such a casual type of a site. It's, like, if they don't want us talking to their, you know, drug counselor or something they just don't have to tell us that they're you know relapsing on substances or anything like that um like they don't have to tell us certain things and so we don't really kind of know what we're told and so a lot of times we're like finding out new information all the time but with this person it hasn't been like that they've been very engaged you know they like to have weekly contact even if nothing's really going you know south and things are going well they like to just report back and talk almost every day like we kind of like you know go back and forth almost every day at least at least every week um and so it actually helps to have a lot more you know collateral a lot more details about this person's situation so when it comes to helping them, you know, with boundaries and things like that, it's been really nice because like, you know, I've known the whole situation from the time that they um, graduated from school to when they had to move and then had to do all these different things. Like we know like the whole situation from when they started needing our support and all the steps of the way, what's been working, what hasn't been working, what kind of stuff is coming up here and there. So anyways that kind of got me into this uh back into this you know conversation about um ISTDP um and I know I've talked about it on here before I'm pretty sure but it was probably like a year ago or more but like the reason why I like it is because it's a very collaborative therapy um one thing I notice and this is for people who maybe haven't um had a lot of uh 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 therapy or a lot of uh like services and therapy or a lot of education around like how to get therapy how to get life coaching how to get different types of stuff like that um i when i learned this approach i feel like it helped me the most um, because the clients felt the most heard. Now, it's not the only approach that's ever going to work, but I think it's a good, it's a good approach to take, um, to pop in and out of, um, with different, um, with, with different situations that come up. Because, you know, there's this question that, that Friedrichsen kind of, uh, goes through when, you know, you're going through these, um, kind of like, uh, scripts I guess you would call it a script it's like there's always a scenario there's always like a, a case study um or some kind of a I forgot what you call it when it's like a like they give you like this like kind of rundown of the person's uh presenting problem and then you just kind of 
kind of start talking about like what method you would use you know to kind of you know address treatment and interventions and so I like the strategic method of it how it starts with you know, well not necessarily always but like it kind of starts with the idea of you know what is the emotional problem that you would like to work on now today you know in this session um and the reason why I find that important is because a lot of times clients come in and they want to work on something but maybe they don't articulate it or maybe we just beat around the bush and never get there Another common thing that happens is, you know, the session's supposed to be limited to 45 to 50 minutes, and then, you know, they might bring up the main emotional issue that they want to be working on, you know, five minutes before the session ends, or right when the session ends and you're scheduling, and then they're like, oh, by the way, I've been having, like, severe anxiety and losing sleep over all this stuff, and, like, you know, so that kind of situation you know is like this this approach kind of helps to guide kind of where the sessions go and asking the person you know what's what's the emotional problem you want to work on today it's like you're actually working on emotional issues right Um, because a lot of times that's what the clients mostly want to avoid is the emotional issues going on And so it's possible to work with a client for years um, and never work on an emotional issue. It can be always just like, okay, let's like not directly working on their emotions. You know, it can it can easily be like come in, talk about, you know, the layout of my week, everything that stressed me out. And I'm going to vent or talk about these things. And I don't really actively do any work on any of these underlying emotional issues ever that's kind of comfortable for a lot of people and it's comfortable for a lot of clinicians but you're kind of not really talking about anything you know on the emotional level and the thing is with psychology is a lot of times there are other fields that we kind of dip into and have to kind of be knowledgeable about to try to like help those folks um and so um it would almost be like if you went to a doctor cuz you know you had some severe hyperextended knee issue or something like i had a i had a a really bad hyperextension you know with one of my knees like back like the first year of my grad school when i was playing soccer and that you know didn't go away for like years probably almost like it felt like it was at least a couple years I was limping around for at least like almost like a month or something and you know I wasn't even talking to a doctor honestly I'd never I never even thought to like talk to a doctor because I was like oh it's not broken like whatever but definitely the pain was there it would get cold sometimes and you know if I was in AC or if it was like raining my knee would just be like a little bit of throbbing pain or like you know I couldn't really actively play sports for like quite some months um like it was pretty tender pretty sore I I had some limitations with it and you know but if I would have gone into a doctor and they would have just been talking to me about my emotions it's like okay like how's this gonna fix my knee how's this gonna show that every time I come in to the next session or follow-up that my knee pain or mobility issues are improving at all like we're not even looking at the knee mobility problems we're not even looking at the at the at the at the you know pain issues if of the physical pain of the knee we're talking about my emotions throughout the week that's you know and that's like I say that to you talk about like with psychology you know it's like that's kind of the approach that not all psychologists take this approach but a lot of times it's easy for a client to kind of force their their um their preference or comfort level into the session because they can easily just deflect and avoid and use these kind of defenses to just easily just be like like not even on purpose this is all like kind of like not even fully conscious behavior you know like we all do it in our daily lives you know um 
you know, imagine the last time you talked to somebody that asked you a question you didn't want to answer. I mean, as humans, we're really skilled with, like, social, like, usually we're very skilled with, like, socially expressing and withholding, you know, what we want to say or what we don't want to say. And it's totally fine, but if you're coming to a provider to help you with something, usually the therapist is there to help you with the emotional aspect of things, the support aspect of things, you know, and what what easily can happen is a client coming in routinely, never talking about the emotional issues or never really talking about them or working on them or wanting to work on them or getting comfortable with working on them. And then the cycles just continue, continue, continue. And they don't really, you know, they might learn a lot about it. They might see a lot of things, but if they're not working directly on the emotional issue, um, it gets really challenging to kind of, you know, feel like things are moving forward with their emotional conditions. Um, it's very common with people with, with borderline personality disorder and other types of personality disorders. Um, uh, just because of the, um, kind of like the social distortions involved, I guess like they're the distortions involved with like how they kind of view the situation like do they feel like they're always the victim and they never notice their role and how they're impacting other people or how their emotional state leads them to do or say certain things in social settings and then other people just kind of don't really vibe with them you know they they present the story very one-sidedly you know they usually can't see the other person's perspective or if they do they really couldn't care less um depending on what type of personality disorder it is you know so it's kind of harder to work with people like that but and depression can be hard to work with because the motivation to even engage in therapy and just like the level of being able to process things, you know, if people have poor memory issues or just like trouble even getting out of bed to come to an appointment or engaging in appointments or following through with any kind of homework. Um, anxiety can be hard because it's hard for people to focus, you know, like every every type of emotional condition has other issues that make it hard to kind of work on the emotional condition it always leads to a certain type of defenses um, that make it so that the person isn't actively always working on that emotional issue. So um, the thing I like about ISTDP is that question, you know, what's the emotional issue you'd like to work on today? You know, and sometimes, you know, they just want to check in about their week and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it you know, you don't want to be too pushy. There's always like a line. It's like, you don't want to be just like pushing your own agenda all the time on the clients. But usually what ends up happening is that because of the dynamic that kind of goes on in therapy sessions of this like avoidance of the emotions and then the defense mechanisms just kind of naturally automatically coming up and then the therapist might not catch it right away and then the story veers off into some other direction of them like venting about something that their great-grandfather's uncle did to their cat or something when they were like four years old it's like okay like is that really what you want to work on today or are you just remembering this and you don't really want to work on it you know it's like it helps to choose one thing to work on you know yes let's catch up yes let's talk about your backstory yes let's talk about what's on your mind Yes, let's talk about, you know, what's coming up in your future and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, eventually the emotional issue needs to come up of why it is that they're even coming into therapy in the first place. And that needs to kind of routinely be worked on. Um, it's really hard to get to that place because um, a lot of therapy models don't really um, have you actively addressing that. And... If you're working with populations of people like the ones I've worked with, the ones who, you know, need food, need shelter, need rides, places, you know, like they're barely able to like get by as it is, you know, it's really hard to start working on emotional issues when you don't have your basic needs met. 
And then we do tend to be taught in school oftentimes about here's this uh, freaking what do you call it? Here's this um, here's this thing. Here's a thing for you, like a like a worksheet, you know, or we can watch this video and discuss it or whatever. But a lot of times if the client doesn't have the buy-in, like if it's not really what they want to work on, they're not going to work on it. So there's this disconnect a lot of times of being like this client isn't engaged, they're not motivated towards treatment. And it's like, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, the therapist might not be working with them on what they prefer to be working on or what they're ready to work on. Um, And so you can give them all the worksheets they want. You can give them all the educational resources you want. And then the client will not even do it. Sometimes they'll leave it in the office or in the group therapy room. Sometimes they'll throw them away or leave them in the lobby. It's like sometimes they don't even like take it with them. So it's like, well, clearly they didn't want this, you know. And so like I'm not like saying that in an offended way. I'm just saying like that's kind of how we all operate you know if you went into your doctor for your hyperextended knee and they started giving you like therapy worksheets or something that's like completely off of what you're trying to like get help for and you look at it and you're like I didn't even come here for this you know you probably wouldn't keep going um or you know if you did keep going you wouldn't really feel like there was a good rapport or that your doctor heard you or anything but with therapy it's a little different because a lot of times there can be this kind of dancing around like like work that's not really work being done you know and I think also because of the lack of exposure to mental health services up until like 2020 most people never even were like the mainstream society was never even talking about mental health and when they were it was through Hollywood and we all know how that goes the Hollywood picture of anybody anybody's situation is not fully accurate and that was kind of the only um you know exposure mainstream at least western Americans were getting about um, you know, therapy and mental health. And I, you know, I have, have some close friends from Cambodia and they've all told me that like the system there is even way different than in the U S that in Cambodia, they have psychiatric hospitals for the most severe situations, but something like, you know, mainstream therapy and that kind of thing, it isn't like it is here. Like, it, it's still kind of, like, taboo. It's not really, like, something that people really are going to actively be trying to, like, be proud to go and engage in. Like, they have other systems for handling, you know, emotional issues, other spiritual systems, other family systems. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just culturally, most cultures don't really have, like, a... a um, like a view of psychology and if you do it's like this weird kind of view of like I would never go into therapy because that means something about me that's like negative like even as somebody who works in therapy who talks to friends we all not all of us but like a lot of myself and friends have you know engaged in therapy sessions for our own mental health you know, just to even cope with work or to cope with like whatever the heck is going on in our lives. And a lot of us are even like, oh, like, I don't even know if I should like say that, you know, like, because it's it can be awkward. It's like, do you tell your your therapist friends that you're seeing a therapist? It's like, that can be awkward. And so I can even imagine how it is for other people who didn't go through like years and years of school training to be into therapy like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I feel like I do, um, like the ISTDP model because of how they engage with the client doing, like, collaboratively working on an emotional issue that they're ready to work on at the level they're ready to work on it with. But also just, like, it takes so much energy from the therapist to be so, like, in tune with the um, with the defenses that come up, you know, to kind of switch the subject or, like, 
it's simple, subtle stuff, you know, like, you know, you can ask a, a client about like, you know, what's, what's the emotional issue you want to work on today? And they might be very skilled with their communication with that and know, you know, how to answer the question and be like, okay, like, you know, I want to work on this emotion of, you know, of the, of the anger that I'm experiencing because of, you know, the court making me have to interact with somebody during a restraining order process when I've been trying so hard to set boundaries with this person to get them out of my life, you know, and that's, you know, it's valid, you know, it's like, okay, you're angry, you know, let's work on this anger. And then you ask them to kind of talk about the anger and then they might get into the story and get more into the backstory and it, you know there's definitely going to be some trauma themes there and they might go way back to like I remember when I was this age and this person was you know yelling at me and manipulating me and doing all these things and then as a therapist it's like okay well you have to listen to them you can't just be like wait 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 we are no longer talking about your anger you're now talking about your childhood you know memory and this whole story it's like let's get back to the anger you know and that kind of stuff happens so subtly and then it can be difficult for a therapist to be like interjecting and being like yo did you notice you know because what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to kind of bring up the defense that's coming up and actively be like did you notice how you know when you started talking about your anger you kind of went a little bit off track and started talking over here about this other thing and we're no longer talking about anger anymore we're not we're now yes it's related but we're now talking about some other story um so things like that you know it's like it's very subtle and it can be very abrupt like to try to approach it I mean that goes against my natural you know social you know ways of interacting with people like I don't I'm not really one to really be like calling people out on stuff like that's like awkward to be like yo did you notice that you did this thing and like it just feels like weird like you're not doing it even like from an ego trip kind of way you're just kind of pointing it out for their own benefit so that they can see the pattern that they go through when they say I'm ready to work on this anger that I'm experiencing every day but how the defenses take them away from working on the anger like the more you point it out the more they realize I'm not working on this anger I'm thinking about the backstory I'm stuck in this cycle of ruminating thoughts about this area um you know and just kind of like people feeling like they're under a microscope almost like or feeling like invalidated it's easy for someone to feel invalidated when they're sharing about you know a trauma story and about their lives and about their past and then it's like oh I'm sharing about my past trauma and then you're like interrupting me to take me back to this thing but then it's like ultimately they said they wanted to work on that thing they said they're ready to work on that thing they said that's the emotions that they have you know there's a lot of like having to kind of like be a bit assertive but very gentle gently assertive and then kind of like being very present and being very aware and then you know when somebody feels like they're being called out you know they might not schedule sessions anymore or they might feel like weird about, you know, how you're approaching them. And especially if you've been working together for like a lengthy amount of time. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, you're calling them out on stuff. It, like it just doesn't feel normal. You know, they, a lot of people have been in therapy for so many years sometimes with the people I work, I work with that um, they're not used to people actively taking a role in their in their treatment and actually working on the emotional issue so they might take it wrong and be like my other therapists weren't doing this so there is kind of this process too of like the way I would get around that would be like it's just tiring you know (laughs) to just be like okay like getting a lot of permission there's a lot of like 
I'm not saying that like there's not consent involved in, in things, but there's a lot of like, okay, can I get your permission to interrupt you on this, to bring up this thing, and then now we'll talk about how do you feel about the fact that I brought that up, and hopefully they can articulate that, and you can kind of work through that little bit of the process quickly enough to get back to talking about the anger, and then, you know, again, and you know, another defense is going to come up, they're going to start talking about the anger, and then that's gonna, you know, another common defense is like the, the, the memory, you know, they'll be talking about a story that they think is related to the anger, and they'll be talking directly about like, how do you feel right now? How does it how explain the anger, you know, and they'll just be talking about like, you know, like, even if you ask them, like, physically, how does the anger feel, you know, like, how can you tell that you're angry versus not angry, you know, that's, that's a simple kind of thing I like to ask people, like, what's the difference between the anger, you know, physically, versus when you're not feeling that anger, or when you're not tuned into that anger, like, how would you know, what does your body do, what changes, you know, and they might say, you know, something as simple as, like, yeah, like, like, my my facial features are tense and my you know I kind of clench my fists and like my you know and the other day I was angry and I was driving on the freeway and I had my hands like clenched around the steering wheel and I couldn't um I couldn't think about you know I couldn't remember you know I couldn't realize like why you know why my hands were were hurting so badly why I was having all this like wrist and forearm pain and wait what was I talking about again you know that that right there that whole like forgetting like where you were in the story forgetting what you were talking about like that's definitely another type of defense that's like a it's almost like a trauma response too. It's like you're overwhelmed by talking about this experience that's directly related to the emotion. And so, I mean, that's just what the mind does. You know, it tries to protect us from things. And then sometimes you might be kind of ready to work on something, but then there's other parts of your mind and body that kind of aren't really, you know, working with you to work on it. And so these defenses come up and it's like, wait, you know, let's just cloud your memory so that you just don't even remember, you know, because you were so in the experience, the re-experiencing and, you know, of that anger that you experienced while you were driving. And that's an example you were giving. And then you just kind of forgot, you know, and it's like, that's how you can kind of tell where the client is at with things is like how the defenses are coming up and how often they're coming up. And then, gently kind of like pointing them out or getting permission to point them out or figuring out through supervision if you should be pointing them out um it's 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 a really intensive type of of therapy but also I do think it's very useful because then people start noticing patterns about themselves you start noticing patterns about the clients. And I do think, you know, it helps like in a short term, a very short term um, portion of the session. I've noticed most clients get super overwhelmed by like a 45 to 50 minutes full on session of like talking about defense mechanisms and staying with the emotion and talking about the emotion. Like that's hard for any of us. Like even if you're not even having like some like massive like symptom issue or some major disruptive emotional issue going on like it's hard to like really talk about that more directly like like it really does take building up a tolerance to emotions like that is not easy but um it can be necessary but it's not easy to do and a lot of us aren't really taught how to do it and it's just it's it's you know, it can be hard, but, um, you know, I kind of, I don't like, I never like it that my clients are in, like, a certain, like, situation, and, like, oh, gosh, now they got to deal with this when things were going so well, it's like, you just got a new job, and you were happy, and you're starting new work, and now you got to start thinking about, like, your stupid, abusive people in your life that you have to, like, go back and have to, like, deal with, and, like, are they going to manipulate the situation, and all this kind of stuff, like, I don't wish that on anybody, but also it's kind of like, you know, I'd rather work with people on that level than, like, you know, texting them, like, hey, you're right, do you have any appointments this month, 
Did you go into any appointments this month? What appointments do you have this month? Do you need transportation? How are the appointments? Are you getting the meds? You know, like, do you have the medical equipment? Like, and then a lot of times, even if they don't have all the stuff that they need, there aren't really resources for us to help them with it. It's like, I have clients who, you know, for example, have changed um, from one, you know, insurance branch to another, you know, and then they need like something, you know, say like a CPAP machine and they need like a, like a, like a portable way to kind of like keep like a breathing device or something while they can like walk around, but then they can't really get that device because now the new insurance branch doesn't cover the device. And then maybe the other device was recalled and now they don't have the part anymore because it's old and like it's like all this kind of stuff that you're just like I mean it's cool to help people when it actually works but it's like eventually like we just get into a cycle where it's like the insurance says no I have to call the doctor again and tell them to write another you know authorization and appeal the previous authorizations did they do it the insurance didn't get the paperwork Let's call back the let's call back the doctor. The doctor said they sent it already. The insurance did get it again. And now they have the paperwork, but they need more information. Contact the doctor. They said they need more information. Can you please send some proof through progress notes? They attached the progress notes. I sent it over. You contact the insurance. Did you get the authorization from the doctor with the appeal information? No, we didn't get the facts. Oh my God, I got a call back, you know, it's like, and then eventually they're like, oh, we see it. We read it, you know, Medi-Cal is going to deny this. And it's like, what the fuck, you know, like, <laughs> like we could go back and forth for like a month about one stupid piece of paperwork being lost here and there. And, you know, it's just frustrating. I'm like, I don't want to do that. You know, it's like, I don't have any power to authorize anything that these people need. All I can do is recommend, I can re- I can do the referrals, you know, I can follow up with referrals. And it gets to a point where we have to, like, harass these offices, you know, to even, like... <clears throat> I mean, these are the offices that answer their phones and that don't have, you know, um, um, like, you know, voicemail boxes that are full or that the phones just ring off the hook, or that you can contact after 12.30 p.m. Like, a lot of sites, you know, if you don't contact them within the first hour of when they're open, you know, the callback line is so backed up, and you're still trying to work throughout the day, you don't have time to be just, like, stopped. And it's just, it's frustrating. This job is, like, it's draining in a weird way, because it's easy, but it's just, like, there's only so much that we can do. And then the in, the whole purpose of my job right now is not necessarily to keep people out of the hospitals because sometimes they definitely need to be in a hospital, but to try to keep them decreasing ER visits because a lot of the clients we work with were referred to us because their primary method of getting support was to use the ER. And that cost the insurance a lot of money. And so they realize on average a lot of these people don't see their providers they don't have connections with providers they don't engage with different people um that they need to routinely and then the problems get more and more severe until they end up at the er and then that's costing the insurance a lot of money but then the issue that we run into is you know, we're trying to limit their hospitalizations, but then we are limited because all we can do is call everybody and confirm things or deny things. Did it go through? Okay, I'll call back. Did it go through? No, it didn't go. They said they sent it. They have a receipt that says that the fax made it to the place. Can you please check your damn fax machine? We check the fax machine and the fax machine is broken. You know, it's just stuff like that. It's like, I have no control over any of this. There's so many of these sites that are just so unorganized. They don't have the funding. They don't have the um, the staff. You know, retention of staff is a big thing. 
Um, you know, they don't have so many things. And I'm not blaming them, but it's just like, this is such a fucked up system that like we can't even really do our job of trying to keep people from limiting their hospital stays because the services just don't follow through. So at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, what the hell am I doing here? You know, it's like, we are trying to limit your people from going to the hospital. The reason why they're going to the hospital, it seems like at first they were blaming the clients saying these people don't engage in services. Therefore, they're utilizing the hospital. Yes, that's true. We've connected them now to all these services and we have all these doctors now and we have all these different psychiatrists, psychiatric services and therapists and case managers and all sorts of specialists involved in this person's care. And there's a certain point where certain for certain people, certain things just aren't working. You know, if you can't breathe, you know, (laughs) if you can't, you know, get your pain meds and then you're relapsing on you know, illicit substances um, instead of being involved in physical therapy and other pain management services. You know, if you can't walk and you don't have any money to get a wheelchair, but, you know, they're denying you the appointment that you need to be able to talk to the doctor about a wheelchair because they want you to go through another round of physical therapy that clearly didn't work the other four times you did it. And you need the wheelchair now so you can do a program that you're connected to that's making you do volunteer work so you can keep the temporary housing that you're in because that program is supporting you. I mean, you see the issue is like all these little different parts that are connected to each other aren't really flowing smoothly. And so it's like all these different things that are connected, it's like, okay, something as simple as somebody not getting approved for a wheelchair can result in them being homeless on the street because they can't stay in the transitional housing because they can't do the volunteer program because they can't get around because they can't walk. Um, and so now they're homeless. And now we have to track down somebody with no phone, no address, no nothing, that we're still expected to talk to once or twice a month and we're still expected to keep this person out of the hospital but they're still utilizing the hospital why are they utilizing the hospital instead of going to appointments well they can't get to appointments because they can't walk and now they're homeless so they're even in a worse condition and they're more depressed and more stressed out so now we need to try to find them housing and connect them the housing coordination and you know, they don't have any money yet. And, you know, if you, you're trying to rely on SSI to come through, I mean, that can be like a three-year process. It's not like they're going to get it today or tomorrow. So, I mean, there's just so many holes that I'm just like, okay, you got to patch up the damn hole so we can do our job over here. You know, it's like we hit brick walls with almost all of our clients. There's like a wall, a wall, a wall. And then we're over here trying to like chip away at the wall and they're like, I feel like they're just like building the fucking wall faster than we can like chip away at it. So yeah, it kind of gets to a point where we're almost like harassing other sites to like, we have to like pressure them, you know, it's not too uncommon for me to like sit on the phone with the hospital site and just be like, I'll just sit here on the phone while you send the facts to the insurance And then once you send it, let me know when you get the confirmation. And then you're going to have to hold while I make a three-way call to the insurance and verify that they got it. And then I'll get three, all three of us on the phone and be like, they said they sent it. They confirmed to me that you, that they sent it. Can you please check the facts? And then did you get it? And usually they'll say yes by that point, because it's like, now we're all on the phone. (sighs) But then, you know, the referral might lapse because nobody follows up with it in the first place. And it's like, oh, my God, like now we got to do this again. You know, I've got like 39 clients, 38 clients right now. It's like, how much am I really doing? You know, it's like at a certain point, we just hit all these walls and there's nothing I can do. There's nothing the doctors can do because the insurance is blocking all this, all this ability to get all the extra stuff that the people need. So, whereas in the beginning, they were blaming the client for not being involved, engaged, and now it always comes back 
now once they're fully engaged once they're fully connected now the insurance is the problem in this in everybody's scenario that's usually what it comes down to is the insurance doesn't approve enough of services of medical equipment of different types of specialists of different types of support referrals of homelessness resources the insurance doesn't doesn't cover that kind of stuff enough of that kind of stuff for people to not have to utilize the hospitals and ERs um so I don't really know what to do with that um because we do hit like brick walls and then it's like okay well now this person's stuck in the house and you know they're breathing in the house but they can't get to their appointments you know because it's not covered by insurance like if the insurance isn't covering anything and approving the the appeals and all this kind of stuff then like we kind of are at a standstill and that happens too often where it's like the insurance just isn't doing it um so you know i spend a lot of my work day kind of racking my brain about you know how to how to resolve that issue it's like i communicate this like we have a very close relationship with these insurance branches like I've got a reputation with them because of some of the complex client cases that I've had to deal with that I was like consulting with them and I was just like look like like the reason I'm calling you is because my boss can't do anything because I can't do anything because the client can't do anything and none of the referrals are working the last place that I can contact is the insurance so I'm gonna keep calling the insurance and calling and calling and calling you know it's like (laughs) what else am I supposed to do like I need them to approve the stuff you know they need to pay for it because these people don't have any money like I said they can't work you know um and if they can work they're not making enough money to be like paying for like electric wheelchairs and paying for like breathing machines and paying for a car so they can get to and from their job and like paying for all this stuff like um they're limited on income that's how they qualify for medical in the first place um i mean because they don't have a certain amount of income you know where they can even afford to pay for insurance out of pocket so they don't have any money and insurance is not really that expensive like it's a little expensive to pay out of pocket but it's not that expensive um really it's not like if you have enough income to support yourself you're usually able to handle that deduction for your health care usually ideally hopefully for most people but you know once they reach the rate where they're getting you know um employee benefits you're usually not going to qualify for for medical anyways unfortunately if you're at a site that's paying that's giving you benefits usually you're making too much money if your work site gives you benefits so i don't know i don't i veered off you know because i i was done talking about what i was trying to say with istdp but i'm just like i'm still like racking my brain about this employment stuff i'm just like you know it's it's kind of hard to leave leave a job that i believe in but the system doesn't work um i don't really like being part of a broken system and it's kind of hard to have that rapport with our clients when it's like we are kind of like their last their last line of defense you know they call us because other stuff isn't working and we if we if we are being blocked from helping them by the insurance like we don't have money our program doesn't have money to be like buying wheelchairs and buying all sorts of stuff. We are lucky that we have at least sometimes a single referral, a single one lifetime referral that we can do for certain things. Like for people trying to get housed if they get like evicted or kicked out or like some tenancy kind of issue with their property or whatever. We can do a one time referral to get them money to, you know pay for first month and deposit to get into a new place but that's assuming they can figure out how to pay their rent for the rest of their life you know they can never use us again for that specific referral um so it's not really a solution it's just like a quick kind of like it keeps you off the street if you're getting evicted but if you don't have money in the first place to pay for this new rate which most of the new rates 
or more than anybody can afford, it's like, I don't know. I don't think there's really a solution. I mean, we're lucky that our clients are in, are in San Diego, meaning that they can move to Mexico, which is cheaper and way more affordable. And that really, I think, honestly saves a lot of lives of people feeling hopeless. You know, at least they don't have to be on the street and in these programs that might take too long to help them and exposed to all sorts of stressors. Like a lot of our clients have dealt, I don't think I have one client in a situation that is in their situation of physical and mental health problems to a point where they should get disability, but all not all of them have it or qualify yet. They're still in the process, but they all pretty much, in my opinion, should get disability because they can't work enough to support themselves and because of their symptoms and I don't think I have one client that doesn't have a trauma background um so that's saying something you know I've said that before you know I don't think I have one client that doesn't have a trauma background even if they weren't formally diagnosed with PTSD or if they're not actively working on their PTSD I don't think I have one client who I don't think I've ever had one client that didn't have a history of trauma whether it was very recent trauma or trauma from childhood. Um, Usually the trauma is related to poverty-related issues too. Like a lot of it's generational kind of poverty where the people's parents weren't really, you know, super able to support the family. And, you know, they weren't maybe pushing education, you know, or or the clients, you know, were not formally diagnosed with some sort of a, with a condition that they had that led to inability to perform well in school, if it might have been an intellectual disability. But I think a lot of it really was mental health, which presents itself in a lot of intellectual ways, too. But some of them do have, you know non-formally diagnosed, you know, issues in school, like when you start talking to them about how'd you do in this class, how'd you do in that class, you know, that translates into, you know, people not being able to graduate high school or get a diploma or, you know, even have an interest in going to college or be able to place out of, you know, the into the college courses that you eventually need to transfer from a community college into a university um, to be able to get a bachelor's degree and then at least with a bachelor's you might be able to find something depending on the bachelor's you might be able to find um, work where you can support yourself it's like a lot of them don't really have that Um, not that they can't do it it's just that they don't have that as their background of something that was available for them or that they were able to do or that somebody was recognizing they couldn't do like I usually me or and the teams of people that I work with we are the ones who recognize after months and months of talking to people so often and talking to the same people and getting to know kind of the patterns that they experienced in their past life like in their past history we then learn, wow, you know, there's all this stuff that went like undiagnosed, untreated, unhelped. And that's why they can't work now as adults because they don't have the skills or the, you know, patience or they've developed all these other emotional issues from not being able to fully function, you know, for their whole youth life the way that society expected them to function, the way that their parents expected them to function, the way that, you know, schools expected of them and everything. And now they can't support themselves. And then the system doesn't support them either. And, you know, I don't know. I'm going to have to think it through more, but I don't really know what kind of direct actions can take place to help some of these situations that I see firsthand that I know are contributing to so many issues of our of our people it's like something's got to give you know somebody's gonna have to bend over somewhere and give a little leeway to the people who don't have any money so that they can get better otherwise this job 
doesn't work. You know, these people aren't going to stay out of the hospitals. The insurance branches aren't going to stop losing money because they're the ones that don't have enough support for the clients that are connected to their services. So I don't know. That's my rant for the day. But thanks for listening.